You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. So today I want to revisit um, Matthew chapter 25. And it would be helpful if you had your Bible out and open there to Matthew 25 so you can l- look at that um, with me. But I want to revisit uh, walking by faith, that theme, the, the primary theme of All In, and in particular, the way that we talked about walking by faith in the second year of All In, which was through the idea of risk. So I want to revisit the big theme of walking by faith and embedded into that, this idea of risk um, that we have talked a lot about over the last year. So in Matthew chapter 25, It starts with a parable, the parable of the 10 virgins. That's the first 13 uh, verses in Matthew 25. And Jesus's point in that first parable, if you just boil it down, and he does a good job of just translating the point in, uh, you know, to us at the end of the parable. He's basically saying this, here's what faithfulness to me looks like. While I'm gone and you're waiting for me to come back, here's what faithfulness to, to me, Jesus looks like. It looks like staying awake. It looks like you staying ready for me to return because you don't know when it's gonna happen. And so you need to be ready and awake at whatever point that I come back, that I meet you in such a way where you are prepared for that. So that's, that's point one of, of, you know, the first parable. Then you get to verse 14 and the next parable. It's the parable we're going to be in this morning, the parable of the talents. And when you get to that parable, Jesus has a main point, a main idea, and they build on one another. The first parable is stay awake. This is what faithfulness to me looks like. Stay awake, be ready for my return. Now in the second parable, the parable of the talents, Jesus's point is, now let me show you what it looks like to stay awake. If faithfulness equals you staying awake, let me me give you some handlebars on what staying awake looks like. Like how should you be living now in an effort to stay awake? What would it look like for you to be prepared for that moment when I return? When I think of Matthew 25, and in particular this parable of, of, of the talents, I think it's written to the person in the room who deep inside of you, when you think about your life and you know that your life is a vapor, I mean, it's just a mist that's here one day and gone the next. And isn't that a sobering reality? I mean, many of us are just watching the decades go right now, right? And and so we're coming to grips with our life is a vapor. And for anyone in the room who is saying, I want the vapor of my life to count, Like I wanted to actually go for things that are gonna mean something in the end. I don't wanna be a person who gets so distracted doing that thing, that thing, chasing all these other things. And in the end, look back over my life and think, man, I've wasted my vapor. I've wasted my few years here. But but your heart is saying, no, I wanna take advantage of every breath, every day that the Lord gives me. I wanna use it for the things that are gonna matter in the end. This parable is written to you. Jesus is gift wrapping these few verses and saying, come to grips with these things then. If you you don't wanna waste your life, if you want it to count, think about this parable. Live inside of this parable. Let this thing soak into you. So in verse 14, you get the three players that make up the parable. The three sort of characters, if you will, of the plot of the parable. First, you have the owner. And the owner, in a lot of ways, well, he does represent Jesus. Jesus is the one who is now, for now, gone away and who will return. So the owner is Jesus. Then you get the, the talents. That's the second sort of object in the, in the parable. And when you think of the, the talents, what they represent, they, they represent anything that Jesus has entrusted to you. So that could be, that could be your time, 
how you spend your time. That could be um, the talents and the gifts that the Lord has given you, like how God has made you and wired you and gifted you as a human being. Um, that could be treasure, like the, the money that God has put in your hand. It just represents everything. Talents in this parable represents everything the Lord has put into your hands. That, that, that's a talent. And then uh, the last character is the steward. And now what is a steward? A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property, with the talents in this parable. Someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. That's a steward. Now, that's, that's really important that, that that idea of what a steward is begins to sink down into us. Someone entrusted with another's wealth, and in, in this story, it's God's wealth, his property, the things that he's entrusted to us, and then charged with the responsibility of managing what's been entrusted to us, not to our own agendas, our own purposes, our own wants, our own fill in the blanks, but to his interests and his agendas and his wants and his causes. That's what a steward is. Now, as the story goes, you just heard this read a moment ago, but as the story goes, one man was entrusted with five talents, another man was entrusted with two talents and another with one. And the five and the two talent man, they steward what the Lord had entrusted to them, what Jesus had given them. And when the owner, Jesus came back, um, they gave the owner twice as much as what was originally given to them. So the five talent man gave Jesus 10 and the two talent man gave the owner four. And then they heard from the owner, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the five and two talent man. Then you have the one talent man. Rather than stewarding what had been entrusted to him, he went in his backyard, he dug a hole and he buried what was given him. And when the owner came back, the one talent man went back to his backyard, dug up the hole, found the, the one talent and gave the owner exactly what had been given. The one talent came you know, to the T right back to the owner. But rather than hearing from the owner, well done, my good and faithful servant, this one talent man was thrown into hell by the owner. Now that's a shocking ending to that story, isn't it? I, when I, if you just imagine yourself reading this parable for the first time, I'm expecting maybe a gentle rebuke, right? Maybe some correction by the owner. Maybe like, let's get on a plan to do something else in the future. I'm not expecting the owner to throw this guy into hell. That is not what I'm expecting to see when I read this story for the first time, but that's what happens. It's a shocking ending. Now, that, that then leads to the question. The Bible doesn't just shock us for no reason. It's making a point when it does something like this. So what is the insight? What is happening in this parable? What is, what is Jesus wanting us to see about the kingdom of heaven here? I think it goes something like this. A life of faith is so bound up in our stewardship. So a life of faith on this hand, us walking by faith in Jesus on this hand, in this hand, and stewardship in this hand. They are so bound up that Jesus feels the freedom to say, if there's no stewardship in, there, in your life, there is no faith in your life. No stewardship, no faith. Or we maybe could summarize that in a positive way by saying it this way. Living by faith equals good stewardship. If we're living by faith, like, like we're actually living by faith in Jesus, that is always going to translate into we're being faithful and good stewards of Jesus. Living by faith means that we're using what God's put in our hands for his purposes, 
And when we're living by faith, we're gonna be those sort of stewards who are doing that, using what he's given us for his purposes and his causes and his agendas. We're gonna take what he's given us and we're gonna invest those in ways that will multiply for the owner's interest. He's saying that, that living by faith equals good stewardship. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not teaching salvation by stewardship. That's not what he's doing here. But Jesus is saying this, salvation is always by grace, yes to that. And on the other hand, salvation will always show itself in stewardship. That when we're walking by faith, part of how that's gonna play itself out in your life, in my life, in our collective life, is we're going to be good stewards of what the Lord has entrusted to us. So let's feel that for a second before we move on. Are you using what God has entrusted to you for God's agendas? for the advancement of his causes. Are you doing that? Is that the way you think about what God's entrusted to you? That I'm a steward of everything, an owner of nothing, a steward of everything. Everything I have has been entrusted to me by God. And now I'm using and investing and spending everything he's given me in the ways that would please him, in, in the ways that would be, that would be good for him and his interests and his agendas? Is that the way that I'm seeing my life? Now, now your answer to that question, this parable is saying, is showing you something about the legitimacy of your faith. Now, this parable then takes us one step further. So if living by faith plays itself out in good stewardship, this parable also shows us that good stewardship equals a willingness to risk for Jesus' sake that the only way to be a good steward is to be willing to risk for Jesus' sake. Now think about the one talent man. This parable is showing us that under the, the, the poor stewardship of the one talent man is a desire to play it safe, an unwillingness to risk for Jesus' sake, an unwillingness to take all that God had entrusted to him, push it in one big pile, and then to push it all in with Jesus. Underneath his, his, his lack of stewardship was an unwillingness to risk. So think about how this parable plays out. This, this one talent man, he didn't lose the money, right? He didn't just go blow the money. He didn't give the money to the master's competitors, right? All this guy did was bury that money, dig a hole and bury that money and wait for the master's return. And, and this parable is showing us that that unwillingness to risk is, is saying something. That that unwillingness to risk for Jesus' sake is exposing that this man never really believed in Jesus in the first place. It's saying something about the legitimacy of his faith. Now, on the other hand, the five and the two talent man, their faith in Jesus revealed itself in a willingness to risk for Jesus' sake, in a willingness to do something. And anything they were gonna do was gonna be risky but a willingness to do something for Jesus' sake in an effort to, to push what had been given to them in on the causes and purposes of Jesus. Listen to my friend Ray Ortland describe this moment. He says, what's the insight that we see in this parable? He says it this way. It's this. We think our job in this life is to not do certain things. So if I can just avoid X, Y, and Z, then I'm good. That, that's how so often we think. But he goes on. As long as we're not doing those things, when we just maintain, we're okay. But look at this parable. The servant is judged not for bad things done, but for daring things left undone. Now just allow that statement to get into you. 
The servant is judged not for bad things done, but for daring things for Jesus's sake left undone. He set on his opportunity and failed to do the good things. Our job in this life is not to avoid doing things, but to actually do things. Our job in this life is not, is not to preserve what he's given us, but to multiply what he's given us. Our job in this life is to do new and creative and smart and risky things to develop the master's enterprise further. The bad servant wastes his opportunity and he ends up in hell. That's what we're learning here. That good stewardship has embedded into it a willingness to risk for Jesus' sake. Maybe you could think of it this way. That the one talent servant was condemned not for bad done, but for good and daring things for Jesus left undone. Gosh, isn't that sobering? Now that is a different way to see our life though, isn't it? I mean, so many of us have bought into this, this way of, of seeing the world that says, Here, here is what, here's what will please my dad. Here's what's gonna please God. If I could just avoid those things that were good, but no, this parable is showing us that part of what pleases the heart of our dad Part of what pleases the heart of God is for us to put things on the line for his sake, to, to risk for his sake, to be about daring and creative and new things for the sake of Jesus. One day we're all gonna be standing before God. And you know, the truth is, it's gonna be much sooner than many of us realize. We're gonna be standing before God. And in that moment, on that day, the legitimacy of our faith won't just be tested by the bad we avoided, but by the risk we took to accomplish good for Jesus' sake. In a lot of ways, this parable is showing us that, that our faith, the legitimacy or illegitimacy of our faith is revealed through a willingness to risk. This is what it's showing us, that, that the fundamental disposition of a follower of Jesus leans toward risk, not toward temporal safety. It leans toward, God, what's the next daring thing that you want for me? What, where is it? What is it? I want to be in, in on that. I want to be involved in that. This parable shows us that a life aimed at safety turns out not to be so safe. That's what it shows us. This parable shows us that for a follower of Jesus, risk really is right. Risk is right for a follower of Jesus. If, you, if you're in here today and you're a follower of Jesus, like you're on the pursuit of Jesus, it's showing us that we have to be about risk that risk is right for a follower of Jesus. So I wanna spend just a few moments teasing out some of the nuances with risk, some of the things connected to risk, just thinking through a couple of things with you. So let's start here, risk defined. If risk is right for a follower of Jesus, then, then what is risk? Uh, John Piper says it this way. And by the way, a year ago, we read through his little book called Risk is Right. If you've never read that, you can grab it. It's a couple of dollars. It would be such a helpful read for you. Uh, but he defines it this way. Risk is any action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Risk is any action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Now think about really any moment of obedience to Jesus is gonna have risk involved in it. So when Jesus, when Jesus says, you need to be about the work of evangelism, talking to people about me, you can't be about that work without embracing risk without exposing yourself to the possibility of loss or injury. It may be the loss of reputation. You, you may lose space in that moment, right? But you're, if, you, if you're about that work, you're exposing yourself. It, it's a risky moment. Uh, when you give generously, 
You are exposing yourself to the possibility of loss or injury. If you love anyone, you're exposing yourself to the possibility of loss or injury. If you care for the orphan, if you open your life up to foster care or adoption, you're exposing yourself to the possibility of loss or injury. If you're consistently confessing and repenting of your sin, you're exposing yourself to the possibility of loss or injury. And we could just keep going on and on and on. But just faithfulness to Jesus requires a willingness to embrace risk like that. To say yes to the possibility of loss or injury. Embedded into the idea of risk is really the idea of ignorance. Right? So, so inside of risk in our and our need to embrace it is the idea of ignorance. We just don't know how things are gonna turn out tomorrow. You don't, I don't, none of us do, right? If you love people like the Lord wants you to love people, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if that goes on, that is exposing yourself to the possibility of loss or injury because you don't know how your love neighbor's gonna respond to that. You don't know if they're gonna be a Judas who betrays you, a Peter who denies you, right? A John who's gonna consistently, love. you just don't know how, what the response is gonna be back to that. Anytime you do any of those things because we don't know how it's gonna turn out tomorrow, we're exposing ourselves to the possibility of loss or, or, or injury. It's just a part of, of not knowing. It's a part of the ignorance we all have to embrace in our life. We just don't know how things are gonna turn out. So in light of that, think about how God has wired the world for a moment. On one hand, God knows all things, so it's impossible for God to risk. So, so God is not, he, he doesn't have to embrace risk because he knows exactly how tomorrow's gonna turn out, right? But on the other hand, God has created a world in such a way where you and I don't know how things are gonna turn out. So our only way forward with God is embracing risk. Our only way forward with God is to say, we don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold, but God, if you're asking us to do this today, we're going to expose ourselves to the possibility of loss and injury as we say yes to you. God has, worked, has wired the world and your life and my life to only work through risk. God wants you and me to be people who embrace risk. Now, let me clarify. Not, and we've tried to be careful to, to, to put in some qualifiers around that because there is such a thing as foolish risk and wise risk. There are categories for both of those two things. Risk is right for a follower of Jesus, but not every risk is right for a follower of Jesus. So it's interesting, if you look at the life of Paul, he's a good illustration of this. There's moments where he stirs up people in a city and people wanna kill him. And in moments he's willing to run headlong into that crowd who want to kill him and just embrace risk and go for it. There's other moments when the crowd wants to kill him that his friends are lowering him through a hole in the, in the wall of the city so he, he gets to avoid them. Right? So not every risk is right. Risk is right, but not every risk is right. So there are some parameters around it. Like here, here's one. We are not advocating, and the Bible is not advocating. It's not like a willy-nilly risk. It's not just risk for risk's sake. That's not what the Bible is getting at. But the Bible is advocating risk for Jesus's sake. Like when the name and glory of Jesus is at stake, risk it. Go for it. And I think there's also like a principle of proportionality involved in it, that the greater glory and honor and fame to Jesus that could be gained in this moment, the more we're willing to risk, right? That the less honor and fame and glory of Jesus that's at stake, the less we're willing to risk. But the main point that I want you to see is the defining characteristic in all of our risk is Jesus. When we risk, it's always in reference to Jesus. It's not just for the sake of a thrill. It's for the sake of Jesus. So that's, that's risk defined. Now, let me just tie together some things around risk and the life of faith. 
risk in the life of faith. I just wanna draw a few things together with this. So imagine someone asking you, what is the purpose of your life? Why is God giving you breath today? Why is God keeping your heart beating? The Bible's answer to that question is so that you can glorify Jesus. That's the purpose of your life. If you ever just wake up and wanna know, why am I alive today? The honor and fame and, and the renown of Jesus is the answer to that question, right? So, so that's the purpose of our lives. Now, then comes the question, well, how do we glorify Jesus? So if that's the purpose, we wanna glorify Jesus, how do we go about doing that? There's a lot you could say about that, but I think if you cut it to the core, one of the right biblical things to say in response to that question would be, we glorify Jesus as we live by faith in Jesus. This is one of the ways that we glorify Jesus. When, when we live in such a way where we are leaning into Jesus, we're showing then his dependability and his trustworthiness in our life. And that's one way that we bring glory to God. One of the ways that we've illustrated this over the last few years is to picture a two-year-old seeing a swimming pool for his first time. He's never seen water like that. He's never seen really water over his head like that. The only water he knows is in a bathtub. He feels pretty safe in there. But all of a sudden he's to the edge of a swimming pool and his dad jumps into the swimming pool and looks up at the two-year-old on the side of the pool who's just terrified. He, he, he is not thinking this is a good idea to jump in. And the dad's in the pool looking at his kid saying, jump, it's gonna be all right. I'm gonna catch you, just, just jump in. So now think about this moment from the kid's perspective. He's looking over and he's listening to the promise of his dad. I'll catch you. It's going to be okay. And on the other hand, he's terrified. Now, how does that little boy bring honor and, and, and glory to his dad in that moment? He brings honor and glory to his dad by getting to the edge of the pool, feeling all the anxieties and the fear and jumping toward his dad. In that moment, he is saying to the world, do you see how trustworthy the promises of my dad are? Do you see how faithful my dad is? That's what he's doing in that moment. He's giving great glory and honor to his dad. Now put yourself in the story with God. God is the good dad in the pool, consistently looking at us and saying, I want you to jump. And then every time we jump, he sets us back up by the pool and he gets a little bigger runway and it's a little steeper cliff. And he says, I want you to jump again. And every time that we say yes to God and we jump toward him, we are saying to the world, that's how dependable and trustworthy my God is. That's how good he is. Now, on the other hand, if that little boy gets up to the edge of the pool, he looks over and, and he sees the water and he backs away and he won't, he won't do it. He just, he shrinks back. What, what is he saying about his dad? He's saying the voice of my dad, the promise of my dad is not trustworthy. It's not, it's not gonna be okay down there. My dad is not dependable in those sort of ways. So in this way, in every one of those moments of faith, we are bringing great honor and glory to Jesus. We are saying to the world, this is how dependable and trustworthy my God is. Now, this is the reason that the entirety of the Christian life is lived by faith. L living by faith is not just what you do when you enter into to life with God. It's what you're doing every step along the way. Every day when we wake up, God has new moments that we need to jump. Every moment when we wake up, every day, every season of our life, God has new things, new, new moments where he's looking at us and saying, I know you've jumped in the past, but here's a new moment. I want you to jump again. Every moment is lived by faith because in every moment where we respond to God and we say yes to God, in every moment that we're doing that, we're glorifying God. That the purpose of our life is to glorify God and we glorify God as we walk by faith in Jesus.
Then comes the question, well, how does God cultivate faith in us? If that's how we glorify God, by walking by faith, how does God do that? And the answer to that is God cultivates faith in your life and my life by calling us and asking us to embrace risk. By looking at us and and providentially arranging the next circumstance that will require a risky step of faith. This is how God builds faith in our life. You know, as a matter of fact, I think it's, I think it's actually good just def- to define faith in light of risk. I, I think this is a good way to think about what faith is. Faith is the willingness to risk anything on God. That's what faith is. It's the willingness to risk anything on God. Like when God says jump, we just say yes to him. It doesn't matter what it costs us. It doesn't matter what sort of injury or loss that it exposes us to. When God says do it, we say yes. Faith is the willingness to risk anything on God. I I love how a pastor of a generation ago talked about this. He said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I love that. I think he's so, such a right statement. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Risk is what faith feels like as you're doing it. This is what it feels like. If you want to know if you're walking by faith or not this morning, ask yourself the question, does my life feel risky? Are there things right now that for Jesus' sake, I feel exposed to loss and injury because I'm doing them? If your answer is no, it means you're not walking by faith. If your answer is yes, that is saying something that, about, about your faith and about your life of faith. Now you can see these sort of you know, examples all throughout the Bible. You're not gonna see the word risk show up in the Bible if you go to a concordance, but you're gonna see the idea of it all throughout the scriptures. And you're gonna see it connected to a life of faith. Let me just give you some, uh, some examples. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Hebrews 11 is oftentimes called the hall of faith. It's just, it's a, it's a chapter of the Bible about faith and walking by faith in Jesus. And it just tells some of the stories of some of our heroes in the Old Testament. Here's an example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God makes a promise to Abraham. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, Abraham. You're going to have a long line of descendants after you. Here's the only problem from Abraham's perspective. He didn't even have a kid yet. And they, they couldn't have a kid. And finally, God gives them Isaac, the, the, the promised one. I mean, think about all the hope Isaac and Sarah, or uh, Abraham and Sarah have bound up in their son, Isaac. He is the promise from God. And all of a sudden God says, put him on the altar. I, uh, Abraham, put your darling, that thing that you think you can't live without, that thing has to get on the altar. That, that is That is Abraham embracing faith. And in embracing faith, this is what it felt like. Are you serious, God? You're exposing me to all sorts of loss or injury in this moment. The life of faith feels like risk. It feels like God constantly looking at your life and saying, put your darling things on the altar. You don't know what's gonna happen to them. You don't know if you're gonna get them back yet. You don't know what's gonna go down, but put your darling thing on the altar. This is how God cultivates faith in us. Or think about Moses in verse 24 of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Think about that statement. The reproach of Christ is greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In a lot of ways, what faith looked like for Moses was Moses allowing his designer life to die. You know what that designer life is? We all have one. When we think about our life, it's the way we think our life should go. Right? That's our designer life. And Moses, he's, he's, in the, he's in Pharaoh's family. He has access to all the prestige, the power, the money and possessions that a man could ever want. And what faith looked like for him was his designer life dying. It was crucified right there. He, he lost it right there. It, it looked like for, for uh, Moses, him being willing to follow Jesus, even if it meant the king might kill him. That's what faith looked like in, in this man's life. His designer life dies. He might be killed in the middle of it. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. By faith, this is the people of Israel. By faith, the people of, people of Israel crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, this is like one of those huge moments in the Old Testament. Uh, the people of Israel are freed from Egypt and God has them on the banks of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is coming after them. God parts the Red Sea and the people of Israel go, go through the Red Sea on dry ground. Now that sounds so romantic when you're reading it, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like one of those moments that you would wanna be right in the middle of until you think about what it's actually like, right? The Red Sea just parted and you're walking in the middle of two columns of water. And if God doesn't hold back these two columns of water, guess what happens to you? You die, right? Your life is literally hanging in the balance of God doing what he said he would do. Now that's really romantic to watch it in other people's lives, but it's terrifying when it's your life, isn't it? It's terrifying when, when we're in that position of it's either God or bust. But this is how God cultivates faith in us. He puts us in positions that none of us would really just go in and choose on our own. But he puts us in positions where it's either God comes through or we die right here. This is how God cultivates faith in us, through risk. And to be clear, not every risk turns out well. At the end of this chapter, by the way, that's what makes it risk. You are exposing yourself to temporal loss or injury. So if you keep reading in Hebrews 11, this is how some people who were walking by faith, this is how it turned out temporally for them. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. But that didn't go so well for them, right? We love the story when you make it to the Red Sea and you get to the other, you know, other side, and it goes great. But for these people, it didn't go great temporally. So hear what I'm about to say. We've said this repeatedly over the last couple of years and I wanna say it again to you this morning. What makes risk right is not that every risk turns out well. That's not what makes it right. What makes risk right is that it reflects the worth of God. That every time we risk for Jesus' sake, we are saying this is how valuable and trustworthy and wonderful Jesus is. That's what makes risk right. And lastly, let me finish here, risk in your life. Risk in your life. What's God doing in your life? He's cultivating faith. How is God doing that? 
by drawing us into risk. Now here's the problem in your life and my life. That the problem we all have is that our flesh hates walking by faith. That there's that voice in you that doesn't like it, right? That, that, that play it safe voice, that voice in you that's saying, whatever you do, don't put yourself in the position of actually having to depend on God. You can like God, even sort of love God, but don't put yourself in that sort of a position. And here's what that, that voice of the flesh does. It seduces us virtually every, I, just think about your own life. Here, here's the default way of operating that's gonna be there for every one of us. If you don't keep the tension pulled on your life, this is what will happen to your life because you have the voice of the flesh that's still in you. You've got remaining sin, that, that part of you that's still at war with God, that doesn't trust God. And here's what that voice will convince us all of along the way. It will convince us all to adopt a way of living that says the purpose of my life is to arrive safely at death. That, that's, that's how most of us live. We just need to adopt a way of living that we're gonna die and we're gonna still have a few bucks in the bank. We're gonna be okay. I, our death won't be as hard. It'll be easier, right? But the Bible stands on the exact opposite side of that. It's saying, no, the purpose of your life is to glorify Jesus, not to die easy right? That, that's the purpose of your life. Like when I look at Matthew chapter 25, it's so sobering for me. And here's the reason that it's sobering. It's sobering because I can see myself in the life of this servant. I, in Matthew 25, I can see myself in his shoes. He can only see his problems. He only has reasons for caution. He, he, he never sees reasons to risk, only not to risk. I can see myself right there in his shoes. He doesn't deny the master. He doesn't work for another master. He doesn't lose the master's money. He doesn't spend it on himself. He just sat on it and did nothing with it. I can see myself right there. He's, he's not living by faith. He's not being transformed by the gospel. He's not moving deeper into the heart of God. He's just stuck in his fear. And we need to ask ourselves the question, is that us? Are we stuck in our fear this morning? Many things are keeping us back from, from risking for Jesus' sake. Many, many things are doing that. And the biggest is fear, that craving for temporal safety, that seductive play it safe voice, that, that voice that says, whatever you do, don't put yourself in the position of having to depend on God. But then there's Jesus. And on the other side of that voice, there's Jesus saying, I want you to risk I don't want you to play it safe. I want you to move all in with me. You know, as a church family, we don't have to be some sort of amazing, mega gifted people to accomplish really wonderful things for Jesus' sake. But there is one thing we have to be willing to do. Do you know what that one thing is? Risk. We have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to push our chips in and say to God, whatever you want. So can I just, can I ask you the question, what, what is that next step of faith that the Lord is laying in front of you, that next risky thing? Maybe for you, that is, that is opening your mouth and talking about Jesus to your neighbor or coworker. Maybe that's it for you. Maybe it's forgiving someone. Maybe it's that next bold step of generosity, that next risky step of generosity. 
Maybe it's pursuing orphan care. You opening up your family for the sake of maybe people in foster care that need to be adopted. You, you opening up your life to that. Maybe it's confession of sin. Maybe it's new steps to help your marriage. Maybe it's faithfully waiting with God for marriage. What's that next step? I mean, we, we could just go on and on. Maybe it's opening up a room in your home for somebody that needs space to live right now. But you need to ask yourself, does, does anything that I'm doing right now, does, does anything that I'm doing for Jesus' sake cause my heart to skip a beat because it's scary, because it feels risky, produces anxiety in me. It's, it's me on the edge of the pool and Jesus telling me to jump and man, it feels scary to take that, that plunge. Is anything in your life with Jesus causing that? H Hudson Taylor, the old missionary, he said, unless there, is, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Do you need faith today? In what area of your life today do you need faith because it feels scary to do it? One of, the, one of the sort of defining stories in the life of our church when we first planted Stonegate eight years ago was Numbers 13. And if you remember that story, God had freed the people of Israel from Egypt and he had them on the banks of the promised land. They were literally on, on a hill. They could overlook, uh, look down into the valley and see there's the land that God has promised to us. There it is before us. And Moses sends 12 spies into the land to go scout it out to see what it was gonna to take to go in and to push these people back so that they could take the land. The 12 spies go and spend 40 days in the land and they come back and they're carrying just loads of grapes that they come back and give their report. It it's really is a land flowing with milk and honey. It really is everything God had promised. That land is it. And then two of the spies stand up, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb look at the people of Israel and say, let's do it. The, the land is there. God has gotten us this far. Let's, let's trust Jesus. Let's embrace risk and let's go take what God is giving us. Let's do this. And then the 10 spies stand up and they say, no, there's no way we can do that. Do you know how big the people are in there? They make us look like grasshoppers. That's what they said. They're so big. We look so small. There's, there's no way we could do that. It's too risky. And, and you know the tragedy of that story? Their unwillingness to risk led to waste in their life. They spent the next 40 years of their life struggling and stumbling around in the wilderness, waiting for every risk-averse adult to die so that the kids could go and get it. Would that not be a travesty for us? How many churches right now are stumbling about in the wilderness, waiting for the risk-averse adults to die so that that church can go and get what God's put in front of them? And don't we wanna be a people who we go and get that stuff. We, we go and get what it is the Lord is, is giving us. We go get to see what the promised land looks like for our particular church family. That those things that God has put in front of us specifically designed for this church. Don't we wanna go get that? 
In the end, there's only two options for your life, for our life, for our church. There's only two. And here are the two. We will either be a church who risk for Jesus' sake or who waste it. It's the only two options. Jack Miller, pastor of a generation ago, said it this way. It's either risk or rust and Stonegate. May we be a church who embraces every risk Jesus puts in front of us. Every risk. Will you pray with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be helpful and to wipe away what wouldn't be. What areas of risk is God calling you toward? What's He asking? What new steps of faith? Today would be a wonderful day to put another death nail in, the, in, the, in that play it safe voice of the flesh. Be a wonderful day to knock that voice back again and just holding up your life again before the Lord and to say to God, my, my life is a blank before you, God. Write into it whatever you want, whatever you will. God, I want, I want to say yes to everything you put before me. So God, show me what that is. Show me that, God. Help me, help me to have the courage to press forward into it. And there's no doubt a part of that is gonna be generosity for all of us. It's been one part of what the last two-year season has been about. It's us being faithful stewards to what God has entrusted to us. And for some in the room, you made an all-in commitment a year ago or maybe two years ago and you, you haven't been able to complete it. And this is a great time to ask the Lord to empower you to open up ways and avenues and new possibilities to, to help you complete it and to empower you to complete it. So today, I just, I'm praying that the Lord would encourage you, empower you, help you persevere in that. Today's a great day for those in that, that camp. This is Laura and I, by the way. It's a great day for those in that camp to make good progress in that. Take another step of faith today in that. And that's what, that's what Laura and I are doing today. We're taking a big step in the direction of finishing that today. And some in the room, you didn't make an all-in commitment a year or two ago. Maybe that's because you just weren't ready to jump in yet or maybe you weren't even here yet. And this is a great morning just to, to hear the invitation of jump in with us. This is a chance for you to learn more of what it means to walk by faith, to embrace that life of risk, to say yes to Jesus, to whatever he's gonna ask. So this is an invitation for you to jump in and to be a part of this. And for some, you've already completed your commitment. And if you fall into that category, this is a great opportunity to ask the Lord God, what, what do you want from me now? God, do, you want, do you want a new commitment? Do you want me to expand my commitment in some way? You know, I think what all of us wanna do is we wanna be able to look back and say, oh, I'm gonna catch my breath. I, I've done what the Lord's asked and I'm finished with that. 
But here's how the Lord works in our life. As soon as we finish one, he puts before us another one and then another one and then another one, just cultivating that life of faith. And for those who fit into that category, if you've completed it, you've got a real opportunity to help those who, just because of unforeseen circumstances and unforeseen financial things that have come up, they're having to modify their commitment downward and they're gonna need help to make up for that. So you just got an opportunity to ask the Lord, do you want want more from me, God? And for all of us in the room, it's impossible to overstate the importance of the next six months as we move into our next base for mission. It's impossible to, to overstate how important it is for us to stay on the edge of our generosity, to stay on the edge of that life, life of faith, to just keep embracing risk after risk after risk as Jesus says, jump here, jump, jump there, jump there. For in every one of those moments for us to say yes to Jesus, In so many ways, what's happening right now is we are dropping a pond into the pebble of our church and we're going to the next three or four decades going to get to watch the pebble of that uh, uh, that we're dropping now send ripples. And we're gonna get to watch those ripples for decades move into people in our community, in our area. So, oh God, would you help us? Would you cultivate faith in us? Would you make us men and women of faith? Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.